Welcome to the Negotiation and Conflict Management podcast series. I'm glad I know that now. This series is brought to you by the NAC team. NAC stands for Negotiation and Conflict. NAC is made up of a team of scholars who are passionate about the teaching, research, and practice of negotiation and conflict management and all related topics. We offer you this podcast series to highlight the work of global academic thought leaders who have a knack for negotiating and managing conflict. We hope you enjoy this episode. I'm Min Hong Tsai, your podcast host for today. Our podcast guest today is Professor Nicholas Hayes. His research investigates the psychology of hierarchy, specifically how power and status hierarchy affect individuals' experiences and group processes. If you haven't yet listened to part one, you may find it helpful to start there and come back to part two. Let's move on to the next question. Do you face any challenges while doing these studies? Uh, yes, for sure. <laughs> I've never had a, a paper or a study that didn't have some level of challenge in it. You know, so there are many challenges along the way, but I guess a, a few bigger challenges come to mind. I, I think in a status conflict paper, so that being first, introducing a new construct is always a challenge. Right? You have reviewers who will say, and and for good reason, you know, why do we need this new construct? How is this different from X, Y, and Z constructs that already exist? Because there is a risk of construct proliferation in research, right? That if you can answer a question with an existing construct or set of constructs, you don't need to introduce a new construct that's just not parsimonious. And so there's always a healthy level of skepticism if you're saying, here's something new, whether it's a new construct or just a new measure, usually those things go together. You have a construct and that justifies the need for the measure. But I think, you know, we we did struggle to convince reviewers that it was necessary, right? There were already three forms of conflict, task relationship process. Why do we need a fourth type of conflict? And so ultimately we were able to convince them that it was sufficiently different. But, you know, I think anytime you're trying to introduce something new, the hurdle is pretty high because there are so many constructs out there. And so people always want to know why do we need yet another construct? In the second paper, looking at status differentiation and how it makes people competitive, I alluded to this earlier, but the paper was when it was part of my, either my dissertation, or it was also a third-year research paper that I did, it was really all about status differentiation. Power was not part of it. So we were looking at status differentiation relative to status equality and showing that status differentiation led to people to be more competitive. And, you know, the, the reviewers there, I don't know, it was a challenge, but it's a, it was, again, a skepticism that we faced is how is this different from power, right? The power and status, there's plenty of skepticism out there. These are not different things. You know, they're both forms of hierarchy. And it's true that they coexist and they tend to positively co-vary. Um, and so the question that we got, the challenge that we had in the review process was how is this different from power? Um, if it's not different from power, why do we care at all? And so, uh, you know, that's where, that's why power is now part of the paper and, and we compare and show that it is different from power, right? And so again, we were able to address that concern or that issue, but you know, that I think that's, that's one of the challenges that I have in, in a number of my projects that are looking at differences between status and power is, is this just academic hair splitting? Power and status really aren't different. Status is one of French and Raven's basis of power, there's all sorts of different ways people, uh, reviewers come at that. Uh, but that that was a challenge that I had in, in getting that paper published. And then the challenge in the paper on interactive effects of status differentiation and power differentiation, 
a little bit different. Uh, the, the story of that paper is interesting because I had, along with my colleagues at MSU, an experimental study where we manipulated status differentiation and power differentiation in the lab and looked at it. And at, at a conference, I think it was at AOM, we learned that a different group of people, uh, so Jessica Lee and Yaru Chen and Shi Chen, had a different data set that looked also at power differentiation and status differentiation in a field setting. Um, and so they were complementary, which was a really powerful. We decided to join forces ultimately and you know put those two studies together. We ended up adding a third study as part of the review process. But the two studies were you know the same IVs, same DV, but slightly different patterns of the interaction. And so anytime you combine two studies, first of all, you know, they originated as two separate projects, right? And so combining those two projects with two studies that were complementary in method, but not identical in the pattern of their result is is always going to be a challenge, right? And so we were, you know, had to address, well, why do you think the interaction pattern in study one looks a little bit different than the pattern in study two? And we had a, I think a good answer for that, but, you know, it's always reviewers tend to like perfection, right? If you have two or three studies or six studies, uh, you know, they want to see the same pattern in every single one. And the reality is that's, that's not very realistic in a lot of cases. And so, uh, you know, but it's still, it's, it's, again, it's a fair question. Well, why do you think this difference uh, manifests? And, and so, you know, we had to answer that question. So, so that was a challenge just in, I guess, in the publication process was addressing the difference between those two studies, you know, in a way that was compelling and, and made theoretical sense. Moreover, do you have any practical suggestions on how organizations can manage status conflict and hierarchy in the workplace? Sure. So in general, status conflict is bad. Um, I do have a, another paper with Corinne where we find a specific circumstance where it can be good early in a team's life. It can help team members sort of agree on the status hierarchy. But that aside, for the most part, status conflict is bad. And I think, you know, the second paper that I talked about suggests that status differentiation is really what triggers uh, or adds fuel to the fire to create the right conditions for status conflict. So my suggestion when I'm asked this is try status equality, I think, is probably the best approach. And, and that sounds obvious, right? Oh, we should all respect each other equally. That that sounds very straightforward in terms of saying it out loud, but the reality is status differences do tend to emerge. They emerge if there's no hierarchy present. That's work from the 1950s that go all the way back then that suggests that. And so it's not, you can't take it for granted that status equality will happen or that even if, if you think that's the ideal, you know, I think companies really need to work at making sure that you have, and status equality might be unrealistic, but minimizing status differentiation. If you let status differences grow, that leads to status conflict. And we know from these papers that status conflict tends to derail the performance of teams. So one of the things that I like about the third paper is in that experiment, we, that was the part of the paper, we introduce an intervention for reinforcing status equality. And it's pretty simple, but it's essentially reaffirming that everyone Everyone in the team is equally important, that there's no reason why one person, even though our jobs might differ, our level of authority might differ, there's no reason why one person should be more respected than other members of the team because we're all critical to achieving our goals, right? And so that intervention was successful in driving down status differentiation. I don't think we got perfect status equality in the paper. And and like I said, that's probably not realistic, but at least getting the differentiation down to a very minimal level. And so, you know, but I also, that was also in the lab. 
lab, right, which I think is still generalizable to the field, but I don't assume that doing something like that once would be sufficient, right? You need a manager, leaders um, at all levels, at executives down to just the, the manager of a team who continually reinforce the importance and the, the need to respect everyone that we work with, regardless of their level of power or you know how experienced they are, how long they've been with the company, because we're all important. We all have, we're all doing a job. We're all important to accomplishing the team's goals, the organization's goals, et cetera. And in reinforcing that over and over again, I think is the best way to try to keep status differentiation at the minimum. And then hopefully that means, you know, that status conflicts don't emerge or that they're minimal and they can be quickly resolved. Also, do you have any recommendations on future research directions regarding status conflict and hierarchy other researchers can pursue? I think one of the questions that I'm often asked when I presented, especially the status conflict paper, is when would status conflict be helpful? So we show in that paper and, you know, and in other papers in various forms of status differentiation, status conflicts are bad for groups, but people will often cite, there's a paper by Sutton and Hargadon where they look, it's published in ASQ, they look at IDEO, the product design firm, and they find that at IDEO, the people on the teams engage in what they refer to as status auctions, which sounds a lot like status competition, right? I'm, they're basically trying to buy status by generating or sharing the most creative ideas in this product design process. And so, you know, people will often ask, well, if status differentiation is bad in a lot of my work and status conflicts are bad, but at IDEO, this qualitative study documents that these, what seem to be competitions over status, or maybe it's not conflict, but at a minimum competition over status, people trying to compete over, you know, who can share the most creative idea that's documented as good for the creativity of those teams. And so I do think that there is room for future research to better understand when status differentiation can be good for teams, because it's, um, if you watch the sort of famous IDEO clip, it's on a part of 60 minutes that's often shown in MBA classes. They, uh, Dave Kelly, the founder of IDEO says basically status hierarchies are bad and that doesn't matter what your rank is. Everyone's equal in the team. And so that would suggest, okay, so status equality is the goal. But then they also, in this paper by Sutton and Hargadon, talk about status auctions and people competing over status, as, you know, through the creativity of their ideas that suggests that people are trying to create a status hierarchy or they're trying to compete over status. And that tends to be good for performance. And so I, I just think that there is more work to be done to understand, okay, you know, so, okay, status conflicts may often be bad, but there are certainly, it seems like certain circumstances, whether it's the type of task or the nature of the team or the team members where competing over status can actually be good because it's directed at the task itself, right? So I'm not just saying I'm better than you, but I'm sharing a, a good idea that helps us as a team move toward our goal, especially if that goal is creativity. And so, you know, I, I, I often get asked that and it's, it's work that I, I haven't answered the question for myself or answered it in a publication. And I think that that would be something that would be really interesting for people to unpack a bit more. Yeah, I also feel that this is a very interesting direction. My final question is, are you currently working on any projects built on the papers you shared with us earlier? Yeah, a, a couple of things come to mind. One is a paper, a, a bit looking at the question that I just mentioned, I guess, uh, where we look at status hierarchy or status differentiation in bands, rock bands, not technically just rock, but all, all genres. And we do find in that case that status differentiation is good for the performance when performance is operationalized as uh 
uh, external parties evaluation. So to be specific in this case, status differentiation and bans leads to more releases on the billboard charts. It leads to more ticket sales, more revenues for the bands, all things that you know businesses would care about, right? It also leads to more Grammy awards. So those are positive, you know, the positive effect or positive relationship. Uh, we don't manipulate anything, but we do have status differentiation and you know, your T positively predicting performance in the ways that I mentioned in year T plus one. But at the same time, it still does have some negative consequences because those bands with greater status differentiation tend to die or break up. So um, we, that's why we call it uh, the supernova. Status supernova is that they, they burn bright. They do perform well. Again, like I said, at least in the eyes of customers or people who are listening to the music, uh, but they tend to break up quicker. And we have some more qualitative data or more illustrative data, I guess, that it is about resentment. So status differentiation leading to resentment. And we decide that we, you know, in, in media reports of why the team breaks up, those reports are more likely to mention conflict or resentment or dislike of, you know, among the team members when those bands had greater status differentiation compared to less status differentiation. So, so that is one paper that's based on these earlier papers that I described. And, you know, it does find, at least in this one way of operationalizing performance, that status differentiation can be good. And then another paper that's not, it's a, it's a bit of a pivot, I guess, is looking at, it's a theory paper on the psychology of status. So it's not looking at status differentiation at the team level, but more status level at the individual level nested in teams and looking at how, you know, the psychological experience of high status versus low status. And how does that, how is that the same in some ways, but different in other ways as the experience of having high power or low power. So, you know, continuing the theme of looking at differences between status and power as different bases of hierarchy. The take-home message from our podcast today is that people can use the intervention of status equality to reduce the negative consequences of hierarchy. That is, when all members are equally respected, the negative effects of unequal power distribution are minimized. As our series name states, I'm glad I know that now. Once more, I'm Min Hong Tsai, and on behalf of all of us, we thank our guest, Nicholas Hayes. Thank you for being with us today. On behalf of our NAC team, Deborah Tsai, Michael Gross, Jennifer Parlamas, Laura Reese, and Ming Hong Tsai, thank you for listening. For more information about this and every episode, you can check out the podcast notes on the NAC website. There you can find additional sources and links to material cited in each episode. Please tell a friend about our podcast, and we hope you will join us next time for another fascinating discussion about a topic you'll be glad to know about.